We are in chapter 45 of the Book of Psalms, class in memory of Jared Dolchen. And we will start at the beginning of chapter 45. Oh, yeah. okay. Thank you. Oh, you want to start? <laughs> For the leader on the Shoshanim, by the sons of Korah. By, for the leader of the Shoshanim, by okay. the son of Korah. What is Shoshanim? Forty-five. What is Shoshanim? Roses. That's Shoshanim. Shoshana is a single rose. Shoshana is a single rose. Shoshanim is roses. Then there is a few meanings of the word Shoshanim means, but one of the meanings is refers to the roses or compared the the scholars of Israel that. The Talmudic scholars are compared to roses. And there is a song for them, a song of love, Shir Yedidot, a song of love for the scholars of Israel. What do you want from the scholars? Let's get into it. Go ahead. A masculine, a song of love. My heart is inspired with a good idea. I say, my works are for the king. My tongue is like the pen of a skillful scribe. My, my tongue is like a pen of a skillful scribe. That's a very interesting expression. <laughs> okay, number three. You are most beautiful of men. Charm flows from your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. You are most beautiful of other men, of anybody who is not, so to speak, a scholar, because charm flows from your lips. The words of Torah flow, flows from your lips, and therefore, God has blessed you forever. And then goes number, continue with number four. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, it is your glory and splendor. Okay, a person, scholars are considered fighting the war of the Torah. Learning Torah is considered like a war. When two scholars learn Torah, they are considered like enemies when they learn Torah. Because both of them are trying to achieve the truth of the story. When it comes to Torah, there is no point of trying to appease the other side. You want to know the truth, and no matter who it is, no matter how great it is, you will challenge them all the way. And if you disagree, you will say your opinion. You're not allowed to say, okay, I'll rely on you just because you're smarter than me, just because you're, you're a nice guy, just because he trusts you. You must understand and come to the conclusion and feel right at your own conclusion. Obviously, within the frame of Jewish law. But the Tamid Chachomim, the scholars are considered enemies to each other while they learn Torah. When they finish the learning, they finish like lovers. They, because, because they... Argument is not about my ego and your ego, it's about the issue. Then the moment they resolve the argument one way or another, even when they disagree, they agree to disagree. Now, I will not say that every scholar is like this. That's the, that's the ideal. Obviously, there is scholars who involve their ego inside them. And that's where the problem this comes. This is not a, 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 like Rabbi Akiva and his students? A little bit. Well, that's the extreme. They took it to the extreme, but even, for example, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel was an argument then that didn't go too far. I mean, some scholars will say that it went a little too far in certain cases, but in general, were two schools of thought in the Jewish 
people. It was during the second temple. You're talking about 20, 300 years ago, 20, 200 years ago. This again completely. Bet Shammai was always, almost always more on the, on the strict side. Bet was almost always on the lenient side. But these two together, what they still married each other. They still had connections with each other. They did business. They, they lived as one nation. Even though they disagreed about everything. And later when the Aloha became like Betilel, everybody had to accept the Aloha of Betilel. But that's what he's talking about. Then the, the, the scholar has to guard the sword upon, upon your tie, Almighty One. It is your glory and splendor. It's the glory of the scholar that is ready to fight for it, for his, for his, for his truth, so to speak. <coughs> Continue. Number, you want to continue? Maybe I'll continue. Please. In your glory, ride successfully in the name of truth and true humility. Your right hand displays awesome deeds. You see, in your glory, you ride successfully on the truth and true humility. You go by the truth and doesn't make a difference to disagree with you. And even if you lose your friend, there is a famous story about a scholar. His name was Akavya ben Ma'alalel. He was a famous rabbi, and one day he got an offer he couldn't refuse to become the leader of the Jewish people. But he had to go back of some of his opinions in a few issues. <clears throat> rabbi told him, if you agree with us on this and this issues, then we'll give me, appoint you to be the leader, the head of the Beidin. That he said, I better be a fool all my life than a wicked man one hour in the eyes of God. So to speak, I will change my opinion just because you won't appoint me a leader. That, that's a perfect example of what, what, the, what truth means. And I said the story a few times. There was a rabbi in the, from the Israeli army. Uh, his name was Firon, Mordechai Firon. And he, he, we had very good relations with the head of the, with the, head of the Israeli army. And, you know, if you want to do anything in army, you better be in good relations with the guys who run the show. And once they told them, we are going to make a party on a Friday night or something, a big thing, you just turn your right out of sight, you never heard about it, and move on. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. You can make a fight about it and then lose relationships with everybody. He cannot fight. And then he was in New York at that time. He was by the Rebbe for a private audience. He asked the Rebbe what to do. He never asked anybody. Nobody knew the story. The Rebbe looked at him and says, the story of Rabbi Eliezer, you know, this man didn't have to tell him the story, but the story of Rabbi Eliezer is, there, was a fa- there is a famous argument about a certain type of oven, if it can become impure or not. The rabbis, Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi, a few rabbis, the, whole, the majority of the rabbis said that it can become impure. Rabbi Eliezer said it cannot become impure. And Rabbi Eliezer was a whole, st- it's a huge famous story how he proved, he made miracles to prove that he's right. And they said, it goes by the majority, God himself interfered. And Rabbi Yeshua said, God, even God cannot interfere in this, in this argument. God gave the Torah to human beings and now it's up to us, the way we understand it. Eventually Rabbi Eliezer was ostracized from the yeshiva. He never back, came back to the yeshiva. He said lonely in his city, Lud, and he died in uh, isolation. That's how bad it was. And he was the greatest scholar the Judaism had to offer. But he didn't want to compromise on his truth. 
The Rebbe told them the story of Rabbi Lezer, you know. Then the Rebbe told them, and the story of Akavya ben Ma'alalel, that's a story I mentioned before, the rabbi who wanted to be offered a job just to go back on, his, on some of his opinion, you know. He said he was, he was shivering. He got cold. He was like, he told the rabbi, what, you compare me to Akavya ben Ma'alalel and the Rabbi Lezer? I want to go to the rabbi. What you? And the rabbi told him, every person has to face God faces himself and look inside to his own truth. Basically, the Rebbe gave him back. But then the Rebbe told him, after the soul scary thing, the Rebbe told him, sometimes there is big waves in the, in the sea, and then you come a few minutes later, the waves are gone, and you don't even recognize that was ever anything in the sea. Came to Israel, the whole plan fell apart, nothing happened, it was gone. <laughs> but the lesson is, if you have a ch- something you believe that this is the truth, you go with it. And sometimes you have to pay the price. Mm-hmm. And that's what Scalos is. It's not, oh, it sounds politically correct to go the other direction, we go the other direction. If this is the truth, if this is the way I understand this passage in the Torah, and I feel that this is the way God said so, that's why the more religious the community, the more arguments there are. Because people feel strongly about what they believe. They feel strongly, they fight. But what about the majority, he said? Don't you have to go, your truth is You have to accept the majority, but it doesn't mean that you, if you you feel you cannot, it's not your truth, he walked away. As long as he walked away, that's fine. He cannot be, it would be, if you make a lie, it would be, he said, okay, I agree with you guys, and I'll stay in the yeshiva, or I'll I'll become the leader, I'll change my mind. He felt if this is the truth, he gave up on on, on 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 his career just for his truth. This, uh, this is the truth that he's talking about. Number six. May your sharp arrows pierce the heart of the king's enemies so that nations fall at your feet. Sharp arrows, according to this commentary, that it talks about scholars and, and uh, sharp arrows are the students. They are the arrows that you send in the other direction. Your throne is from God forever. Your kingly scepter is a scepter of fairness. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has joyfully anointed you with oil over your peers. Because you love you love righteousness, and that's why you are special. <clears throat> Go ahead. All your clothes are fragrant with myrrh, aloes, and cassia, from ivory palaces which entertain you. Daughters of kings are your favorites. The consort stands on your right in fine gold of Ophir. Here and see, oh it's all that it means to say, number 10, it means to say that <coughs> there is other, the other nations come to you, so to speak. The daughters of nations, the daughters of kings are your favorites, but, but uh, nobody comes close to you. You're, you're the most special one. Number 11. Here and see, oh daughter, incline your ear, forget your people and your father's house. What does this mean? Hear and see your daughter, daughter, and forget. Listen carefully. Forget your nation, and your house, and your and your and your uh, and where is it? Number eleven. Forget your people and your father's house. Who we told to forget the people? And who forgot his people and his father's house? Abraham. Beautiful. <coughs> from your land mm-hmm. from your birthplace 
from your house or from, from, from your father's house. It means to say it's a, it's a message to all the Jewish people, to the Jew, Jewish nation. Forget anything that's around you, the people around you, and, uh, and forget that you live among them, and your house of your parents, so to speak, you coming from originally from an idol-worshipping background, Terach was an idol-worshipper, and accept, and accept God. And then, number 12. Let the king desire your beauty, for he is your master. Bow to him. Okay, king, king, the king will be God. God will desire your beauty, your spiritual beauty, because he's your master, and you'll bow down to him. And at that point, when you will do this, go ahead. O daughter of Tyre, the wealthiest of people will favor you with gifts. The whole world will favor the Jewish people with gifts because they are ready to give up on idol worshiping, ready to give up on all the, the material things and accept God. That the whole world will try to be close to them, try to, be, try to find, look for their closeness if you want. The glory of a princess comes from within. Her raiment is inlaid with gold. Okay, here this line became a very famous line that represents the whole concept of um, modesty. The glory of the princess comes within, 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 within. It means to say it could be translated also that the, the glory of the of the witness of the of the Jewish goal is with inside to be more in a modest way. That's what it means. And therefore, they become, their, their clothing is more important from what? Uh, from, 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 uh, it, it remains, is inlaid with gold. Yeah. What means to say, the Talmud says, that was a woman with the name Kimchis. Kimchis was a, lady, a mother who had seven sons, high priest. Seven sons that all seven were high priests. One of the daughter. Wow, isn't this unbelievable? By the Jewish people, one family should be seven sons, and nobody should say a book. <laughs> That's it's seven miracles, not one miracle. Is that in the time of the second temple? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, Kim is in the time of the second but temple. I, Absolutely. I understand. They're all, how can they all be high priests? One died. after the other. One after the other. A few years later. One just died? Obviously. Okay. Obviously, they were not uh, seven, uh, seven high priests at the same time. That they asked her, "What made you deserve to be, uh, to be, to have seven sons like this?" That she said, "I was very, she was very modest in her behavior. That's why she deserved such a thing. And she's more important than. Uh, uh, that's why she, she, she reached to such a level." Number fifteen. In embroidered. You want to continue? In embroidered apparel, she has led to the king followed by her maiden companions, and brought to you. They are led with the gladness and joy. They entered the palace of the king. Her it's son's all speaking in figuratively about the Jewish people entering the palace of the king means entering God. We have it in the Song of Song in many places. <laughs> your sons will succeed your ancestors. Your sons will succeed your ancestors. That's the whole idea of, of uh, inheritance. When your children will con will stand in, in the place of the parents, they will continue the same tradition. You will appoint them as princes throughout the land. I will commemorate your name for all generations, so people will praise you forever and ever. 
Before we mentioned you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. That's one of the things. Then the Medrash says, it refers to, the Medrash tries to, refers to a few people in the Bible, in the history of Judaism. What he says refers to the prophet Isaiah. What's unique about Isaiah? Isaiah was specially, he was known to always justify, to find good things about the Jewish people, to defend the Jewish people, always. And therefore God loved them more than any other prophet. If any other prophet was appointed by the prophet before him, all the way to Moses, Isaiah was, appo was appointed by God himself, so to speak. Always because he was saying a comfort and defending, saying good things about the Jewish people. And even he got in trouble once. Can I ask you a question about prophecy? Mm -hmm. Does the prophet only speak prophecy, or does he just talk like you and I are talking? Sure, he talks like a lot of talks. He's a human being. Sure, but he has moments that he is giving prophecy. Not all the time. Absolutely not. When he's not giving a prophecy, it's <coughs> just me and you. You can argue with him. When he's giving, when he's prophesizing, then it's something he cannot argue. But you were able to see in them if speaking regular words or he's giving prophecy, he was in a trance. It was not a normal behavior. It was not just a guy who stands out and gives a speech. It was like a, he was controlled by a stronger power, by another spirit. It was like in a different world. Therefore, the prophet, prophet were called, you know what the prophets were called in Judaism? Levi? No. Hohan. Levi? No. Mouthpieces or something like that. <laughs> because they lost control over the body. They looked like they were off. And that's how they gave the prophecy. It wasn't like you. Only Moses was like a regular human being. He was in complete control in giving prophecy. The rest of the prophets, when they were giving, when they were... When God was prophesying them, maybe when they were speaking, they were already back to their, in, the, in, the, in control. But, they, but when they received the prophecy from God, they were completely, they were not in control. Maybe sleeping or laying or, they, they were not in, in control of, over themselves, that's for sure. Did they give the prophecy orally before they wrote it down? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah I mean, usually. Hmm. One cannot say it every time, but um, usually, yes. But I think, I think it was Isaiah that said that I, when Hashem told them, uh, I want you to prophesy, he said, he said I'm, I'm, in a, I'm sitting among a people <coughs> who has impure lips, right? Yep. It was Isaiah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he says, I have, I'm an impure person and I sit among a people who have impure lips. Just for this alone, he was punished that in his prophecy, God, an angel went and bought and burned his, his lips a little bit for speaking a bad thing about the Jewish people. And Isaiah is considered a good prophet that, never, that always defended the Jewish people. That's why he gave us the big, the most comforting prophecies that the Judaism has to offer is from Isaiah. Every time Isaiah starts a prophecy <coughs> with two words, uh, Uri, Uri, like in, two, in, in a double expression. Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, you understand? It's a, it's a higher level of comforting than the rest of the prophets are. 
and all all his God because he always liked he liked righteousness. What means he liked righteousness? He liked to defend the Jewish people. You see, to find to find failures of the Jewish people is not hard. To say bad things about others, about anybody, <coughs> is easy. But for this God doesn't need a prophet. <laughs> for this he has six o'clock news. <laughs> they only concentrate on bad things. Finding good about the Jewish people. And whenever and that's what the greatness of Moses that he always defended the Jewish people. And that's the and that's any prophet who, who defended the Jewish people, God loved them. To say bad things, we have plenty. And that's what you have to learn. If you want to be the first step to be a prophet, it's first of all saying good things about the Jews. Let's start with this. Then we'll talk. Can there be another prophet in modern times? In essence, possible? yes. In essence, yeah. God, let's say God wants to wake up one day, you think you're a prophet. I mean, don't say it loud. <laughs> you might be locked up, you know what I mean? <laughs> but in essence, yes. It's not written anywhere. It's officially... The era of prophecy was concluded in the time of Haggai, Ischaria, and Malachi. Malachi, the Bible ends around 2,500 years ago. But it doesn't mean, when you learn Maimonides, it could be tomorrow prophet, yes, absolutely. Then even that official prophecy was closed, was concluded, people with uh, the Spirit of God were throughout history. People who had a higher level of uh, what is called um, intuition, spiritual intuition, were able to connect to God and feel right from wrong. What, what God wants from us to do today, they were throughout history. Were, my my manatees were such a person. Throughout history, there were people who had a certain levels of prophecy every time throughout in the Baal Shem Tov and the Chabad Rebis. And I mean, you see yourself, you saw this is people who said, What's up? how you test a prophet? He says the future, and you see if it's being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. These people said the future, and they were right, time and again. But they, again, they didn't have the authority of a prophet, you understand? The authority of a prophet is somebody who says, so says God. If you disobey a prophet, you deserve that. That's authority that nobody has today. But to, to, have, to, have the, to know what God wants from us, that could be today too, absolutely. Is, is Moshiach considered a prophet? Or absolutely, no? absolutely. The ultimate prophet. Okay. They said, they said before also, the daughters of the king will, uh, will, will go after you. Who is the daughters of the king? The Medrash says it, it refers to Hagar. Who was Hagar? Ishmael's mother. Hagar. Hagar, Hagar? Yeah. You mean the Abraham? She, was, she was the daughter of Pharaoh. Daughter of Pharaoh. That's what I'm saying. The daughter of the kings who went after the Jewish people. Hagar gave up a life as a, as a princess in her, fa- her father's house by Pharaoh. And she wanted to become a... She said, her father said, you better be a maidservant by Abraham than a princess in, 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 in an in a Egyptian house, in an Egyptian king's house. And she cleaved to the house of Abraham and because of that, she eventually deserved to marry Abraham. And she had Ishmael. And that's the daughters of the king who are going after the Jewish people. That's one example. This whole, this whole psalm is like this. Every single verse. 
that a lot of the other psalms are more direct. This is a very hidden. We didn't have you to tell us the. the if the, I wouldn't have the, the book, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I would, have the book. I would I never know. <laughs> and uh, he says, he says in number seventeen, um, your sons will succeed your your ancestors. It means to say. Everything that Judaism believes, and it's, you see it in the Bible, everything that happens to the parents <coughs> happens to the children. Well, by whom we see it very clear. Abraham. For example. Yeah. One digs the wells, and the other comes along and digs the same wells. As, bad as, it, as good as it's by Abraham and Isaac, who were it's even worse? Jacob and, Jacob and, and Joseph. Joseph. Everything that happened to Jacob happened to Joseph. Yeah. Jacob was in the fight about the first birthright. Joseph had to fight about the birthright. J Jacob had to run away from home for 22 years. Jo Joseph was away from home. Everything that happened to Joseph, Jacob happened to Joseph. Then Hashem, then it means what does it mean to say that all the Torahs will come to us? That Hashem says, no, you, you will be like your fathers, but in a good way. That you will, in the end of the day, we will, we will be um, princes throughout the land. We will... Rule the land doesn't mean rule the land physically, but rule the land in a good way that the world will respect what Judaism has to offer. Okay, now we'll go to chapter 46. <coughs> For the leader by the sons of Harak, a song of the Alamos. Alamot. What's uh, Alamot? What's uh, Alamot? Um, it, has, it has to be an instrument. Fort in Texas. Fort in Texas. There's a place called The sons of Korach. The sons of Korach. What happened to the sons of Korach? They were saved. They were swallowed in the earth. No, right, together saved. with the father. Somehow. Oh, they were right, right there on the edge of okay. disappearing. Yeah. And then they survived. They saw two worlds, so to speak. They saw this world. They saw life and afterlife, so to speak. They saw heaven and hell. They saw everything. And because they did tshuva, they survived. Then <coughs> they are telling us, they are telling the Jews that we should believe in miracles. It's possible. We went through this. If you want, if somebody, if you, if somebody give, offers you comfort, say, oh, don't worry. If he didn't go through the same thing, you say, oh, yeah, what do you understand? But he went through the same thing, and he tells you, I was there, and I'm telling you, we can survive this. That's a whole different story. The sons of Korach survived the swallowing of the earth. Whatever exactly happened to them, it's not clear. They were swallowed, and they came out. They were not swallowed. They almost swallowed. Whatever it was, they were about to be swallowed. That's for sure. And a miracle took place and they survived. That they tell the Jewish people, they kind of comforting the Jewish people and telling them that we can believe in miracles, we can believe in the resurrection of the dead because we went through everything and we saw that it's working. That God can make these miracles. Hashem is our refuge and strength, a help in trouble, very uh, accessible. Therefore, we are not afraid when the earth is transformed and mountains topple into the sea. When, are, when is the, uh, the earth transformed and a, a mountain uh, trampled? at Mount Sinai, and also when Moshiach will come, it's like the world will change. It says, don't worry, to, nothing to re reason to be afraid of, of this kind of things because he survived everything. When water, uh, waters rage and foam, mountains quake in his uh, majesty, Slach. There's a river who dwells, 
whose dwell uh, streams gladden Hashem's uh, city, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. Hashem is in its midst; it will not topple. Hashem will come to its aid towards morning. Hashem will come to, uh, to uh, God will come to to its aid towards morning. What does this mean towards morning? Well, generally moved from Gaboris uh, in the night time to to. Uh, yeah, that uh, Mark wants to give us a taste of Kabbalah. <laughs> <laughs> night is Gvura. Day is Chesed. Where we see it? How we know it? Where we see it in the Bible? Probably in Genesis. For example. <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not in Genesis. <laughs> maybe in Exodus. Oh, with, here the, we see, with a pillar of cloud? Here no? we see Gvura at night. Gvura means strictness, judgment, discipline at night, nice and plague. kindness in the morning. Night nice plague? The night darkness. plague, darkness was even the during the day. No? You're not giving it to me? No. No, the killing of the firstborn. Beautiful! Right. When was the killing of the firstborn? Night. Midnight. 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 When did you left Egypt? During day. Midday. Day is chesed, night is gvura. Here he talks about almost early morning, right? Mm -hmm. Towards morning. Towards morning. What happened towards morning in Jewish history? Not bad. Find bad or something. What happens towards morning? You know. Twilight you know. of the sixth day? You all know. No. Sunrise? I know the sunrise. That's nice. What happened towards morning? What happened toward morning? Was that when the Egyptians went into the water? The splitting of the sea. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. What else? Okay. No. Another very important event. The angel Mount that was Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. The whole world God revealed himself to the Jewish people, to the, gave the Ten Commandments. Early morning. Oh, and towards morning, God came to our assistance towards morning. He came to our assistance by the, by the sea, when the, the Egyptians, the whole speeding of the sea, early morning was right by the end of the night, just the beginning in dawn, before dawn a little bit, and then it was the whole thing. A whole night was a big wind, and in the early morning, the, the Egyptians were drowning at this fixed parsha, actually. We're going to read about the Chavez. And we might even speak about the Chavez. <laughs> then all of this happened early morning. That's why, that's what he's referring to it here, too. Nations raged. You want to continue? We are on page 133, just yeah. if you want. Nations number seven. Mm -hmm. Please. Nations rage, kingdoms topple with the sound of this thunder, the earth melts away. God that's that's really describes Mount Sinai, if you want. Go ahead. God of hosts is with us. The God of Yaakov is our protection. Selah. Come and see what God has done, how he has wrought havoc on the earth. Okay, this line, number nine, come and see what God has done, how he has wrought. Uh, what, what's wrought? Wrought, wrought. Made. 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 He made it. What he made it? A work on the havoc. earth. Havoc. What does this mean? What exactly does this first mean? Free will. He, had, he, made, he made a mess of the, yes. of the world. Pandemonium. Like he, 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 showed, he showed his strong hand, so to speak. Yeah. 
אשר שום הניבו שמות קודמים, שמות. What shemot? Shame? Name. Name. Then the, some rabbi said, you can see that by the name of the person, you can tell the person's life. God, by giving, a human being is giving names to people. The name tells the story. And it was a known thing by many rabbis in the Talmud to say, what's your name? That's why you're doing this. That's very, very much into names. For example, Noah. Why is he called Noah? Noah, Noah. In Hebrew is Noah. What's Noah means? Comfort. Noah brought comfort to God because he was the only good guy around. Avraham stands for the, for the word Avram. He was a, he was a leader of, of nations, a very special, a father of the nations. Itzhak comes to the word Schok. Joy, laughter, that he brought laughter when he was born. <coughs> Yaakov comes to the world hill. Then his name Israel. Israel means to be a sar, a sar means to be a minister, to be a leader, Lee Rosh. And goes on and on and on. Meir, Meir means illuminating. And you see, by May, it was in the time of the Talmud, and later, and the Rebbe was very big in it too, that the name of the person <coughs> says a lot about the person. If you must meet a person with a certain name, is to tell him right away what his name means to him. What's, what's the meaning of his name? Kind of, you have to live up to your name. These are Hebrew names, I'm assuming, not English names for the most part. You're right. But uh, even English name, if that's the only name of the person, the name should have a meaning to him. Well, it's a should problem in Kabbalah because most of the people are named after a series just of a few names. So, yeah. the name uh, Levi could mean for everyone... The same, even if it, even if it's the same message, it's not. Doesn't mean within this name could be a little bit here and a little bit there. It's not a contradiction because every, I mean, there is, you know, the most common name in New York City in 2014 was, or the second common name for boys. Give a guess, Moshe. Moshe. It started with you. Moshe. You started. <laughs> 2014 in New York City, uh -huh. the most common name was Moshe. Wow. That's something. And what I mean to say is, that means that not because everybody is named Moshe, therefore they cannot have everybody as a message to his Moshe, he is Moshe, and he has, he has to live up to what Moses was. Moshe Solon. They were drawn off in the water. Ah, they were drawn out from the water, you're right. To, what's the water? Talking about the name Moshe. What's the water? The, well, the water covers the sea, right? Mm -hmm. You don't see the land of the sea. You see only the cover. You see only the water. The, the raging waters are compared to the, um, the to life. The hustle and bustle of life, they're running, and all the missing, you know, we're constantly busy, we're running, we're coming, going. It looks like life is swallowing, all the waves of life are swallowing us up. We are drowning into the, in the, in the little things of life. And the job is to pull us ourselves out from the water. Just like you pull out Moses from the water. Even more, as we this speak, we read about the spinning of the sea, right? The job is to split the sea. The sea covers the land. Covers was underneath the sea. The world is a cover-up of God. 
The job is to uncover God, to split the sea. Splitting the sea is not only Moses with a stick. Every one of us has to split the sea. And what you'll read in this week's Pasha is, God tells the Jewish people, what are you praying? He tells Moses, what are you praying? Go out and split the sea. Sometimes, don't stay in the shore and pray. Go out to the big world and split the sea. What needs to split the sea? Find God in the daily life. In the walking place. In what you do. Be a Jew. Serve God wherever you are. That's splitting of the sea. That's motion. It's going out of the water, not being afraid of the water, not allowing the water pulling you down, but fighting. What's the sign of a living fish? Swimming. No. Backwards. Swimming against the current. That's a sign of a living fish. Somebody, everybody else is doing it. No, you are that fish. <laughs> you're swimming against the current. That's your sign that you're alive. That's what a, this, I know I mentioned it. Uh, maybe this is not the part, but does free will come into that? To, to this one, and to I heard that one of these. Maybe it's not this one. God brought to the world. It's in the Psalms. Free will. In one of these. No. I'm sure that there is. I many think it's, times. I think it might be this one. Maybe. Okay. okay. Number ten. He puts a stop to wars throughout the earth. Breaking the bow, snapping the spear, consigning chariots to the fire. Desist, realize that I am God. I dominate the nations, I dominate the earth. God of hosts is with us. The God of Yaakov is our protection. Salam. Thank you. Now we'll go to chapter 47. Chapter 47 is a chapter that we recite when... It's a hard question. If you don't pass this test, I will not, uh, you'll not lose points. <laughs> <laughs> this chapter is being recited before we blow the shofar. <laughs> yeah, right there. It's only once a year. I don't know people to remember once a year. That's, that's asking for too much. Not only we recite it once, we read it the right way to do it is seven times. To recite the same chapter seven times. Why we recite it seven times? Because there is one line who is very meaningful to is speaking about um, the, the, the blowing of the shofar. You know, in the, it's written, um, the, last, the last word of this page in Hebrew is tua, tua. Tua is blowing. It's written about how we know that we're supposed to blow the shofar and Rosh Hashanah. It's written in the Bible, Yom Teruah Yelachem. should be a day of blowing. It's not even written shofar, by the way. It's written blowing. From here, we compare it to another place, it's written blowing. But it isn't written, written shofar, then we know it's shofar. Then it's written here, God is being ascended amidst the, the Teruah, the blowing. And then it says, God rises with the blast, blast of the shofar. Then the Talmud says about this line that when, when the Jewish, in the beginning, when, when it's Rosh Hashanah, God is, so to speak, sitting down on the, on, the, on the throne of judgment. He's coming to judge the people. That's Rosh Hashanah, it's a day of judgment. When the Jews blow the shofar, God is moving from the throne of judgment to the throne of mercy and is 
judging the Jews in a merciful way. Not judging them according to what they deserve, but in a merciful way. That's what the shofar is accomplishing. That's, what, that's why we recite this prayer, this chapter, before we blow the shofar. Let's read it from inside. Want to read? For the leader, by the sound of Korah, the song. All your nations clap your hands, acclaim God with shouts of joy. For God most high is awesome, a great king over all the earth. He puts people under our dominion and nation under our feet. Yad Beramim Tachteno, he puts people under our dominion. <coughs> we, we, should con we control the world. But the world that the, 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 the Psalms is using, Yad Ber, is an interesting, it means to control. But the bear comes from the world speaking. We control the world not by the gun, not by force, but it works. When Moshiach will come, he will speak and the world will listen. That means to say that we control the world by offering something meaningful that everybody wants to hear and wants to follow. Not by force, not because you are stronger. That's what he says. And we control, he said, that's what he says. He puts peoples under our dominion and nations under our feet, but not in a way of power, but in a way that we are offering something to say that it's meaningful to them. Then he says in number five something very interesting. He chooses our heritage for us. He chooses our heritage for us. I thought we are choosing the heritage. Hmm. Heritage? The Torah. Yeah, who chose the Torah? He chose, God chose us, what's going on? Yeah. That we are the chosen people, God chose us, right? Then we, God asked us if we want to receive the Torah, we said yes. What if we would say no? That's it. We wouldn't be around. Ah, you're on your own? We wouldn't be around. Be around. This is true too. <laughs> From Mount Sinai. You're right. It means God chose us that it was deeper than the Torah. It was stronger, it was, came, comes from a higher level. Yes, God chose our heritage. He chose, he chose us. He chose what, we will, what we're going to choose, so to speak. What are you going to do? And when we, bless, we blow the shofar, what happens on Rosh Hashanah? A person throughout the year, he, didn't, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't even close to perfect. He comes on Rosh Hashanah and says, Oh God, I'm sorry. What, what, what should I? What's sorry? You said it last year. You said it two years ago. Five years ago. What changed? Why should I forgive? Why should God forgive us again and again? We are touching in God. We're reaching a point in the relationship with God that it's above, above calculations. It's above what I owe you and what you owe me and what I did and what I didn't do. The best example is that, you know, sometimes happens really. What it happens? Very rarely, I hope, that a brother and a sister don't talk to each other for 20 years. Never happens in America, but you know, in the old days, it happens. <laughs> then they come to a funeral, usually, of one of the parents. Usually, then everybody makes up. They come and dog each other. What really changed? They still forgot about all the grudges that they had. But they suddenly realize that the connection between them is so deep that it doesn't make a difference what happened in between all the bad blood. They, they are sharing such a deep connection then all of the above doesn't make a difference. <coughs> That's what is happening in Rosh Hashanah. 
when we blow the shofar, what's the shofar blowing? It's, it's not prayers. We are not saying anything. We're not even singing anything. The shofar blowing is an outcry. It's a scream that comes out who represents the depth of our soul. Something that words cannot express. The example of the shofar blowing, as it's written, as there is an a parable from the Baal Shem Tov, or from the Maggid of Mezrich, one of these two. It says a story about a son of a king who went, who decided he wants to go to see to, to the world. This country is too small on him, he's going to the big world. He went and he, he went to Christ, to, to a country that he found people that he liked them, they were different, and he started to learn the language. And he, he was so immersed in their life that he forgot his own language. He was four years there, 50, who knows, I know. One day, he woke up, he wants to go back to his, to his, to his father. He's missing his, the king. He makes the journey, he comes back, he travels. He comes to the palace, he wants to go in. He doesn't know the language. He forgot the language. He didn't speak it for 50 years. He never heard it. Forgot. <coughs> Not only forgot the language, he says nobody recognizes him. You're the son of the king. I'm sugar. You're such a guy. He's talking to taken to jail. I mean, he's crazy. Somebody was trying to break into the White House. The same idea. Suddenly, he started to cry. He cried so loud that his father recognized his voice. And he came out to open the gate for him. That's what the shofar blowing is all about. You come back home, we are, we are lost the whole year. We went to other places, we thought we'd find uh, big things in other, other places. And we come back, Rosh Hashanah, and we forgot everything. You don't even know how to read. But then comes the shofar, the sound of the shofar, the inner outcry that the Jew has to God and this awakens the deepest feelings of the king and makes the connection then that's what it's all about then when we blow the, and that's what it awakens is the moment that God chose us a choice is above logic why we choose a certain thing it doesn't really make sense why we ask a person every person why you married this person any explanation that you give is a little weak. Or this because she, because he's beautiful, because she's beautiful. Or while you had another date, it was also beautiful. There is not a specific, you cannot describe it. You fell in love. What means fell in love? It's something above logic. That's what God, that's how God, when he chose the Jewish people. It's something above logic. Because there is other nations, maybe they're nicer, they're less nudnikes, they're nudging less. <laughs> they're less complaining. Could be. And many, maybe more ob obedience ones. You can give explanation. There is many explanations why. But ultimately, that's it. God chose the Jewish people. What means choice, by the way? He has to make sure. To be Chose, chosen people means a responsibility. We are the, all the sons, so to speak. Firstborn son is all. Firstborn son is expected to behave better. Chosen doesn't mean that I'm better than anybody else. Chosen means that I have a responsibility more than anybody else. You know, in the world of chauvinism and all of this and, and racism that people are so sensitive, we have to make it very clear. Chosen people means that we have a responsibility to be the campus, the moral campus of the world. That is our responsibility. And that's what we're supposed to do. And, that, and, and that's what means that God chose us. But what I mean to say is why us and not anybody else? Ultimately, there is no explanation. 
And what we try to do on Rosh Hashanah is to touch this point. And when we touch this point, we are waking in God the good old love that we will find each other, that God found us, and be, and be it was before we proven ourselves, before anything, that God still chose us. And then He will forgive us once again. Number six, we that want to continue. Um, sense, you want to do God ascends amidst acclamation. God rises with the blast of the shofar. Sing, O sing to God, sing, O sing to our king. For God is the king of all the earth, sing a psalm. God is the king of all the earth. The whole purpose of Rosh Hashanah, if you read the prayers, is to recognize God as the king of the earth. We pray in Rosh Hashanah that every creature, that every Everything in the world will recognize that you're the king. The moment the world, every one of us would recognize that God is the king, we would all behave. We, would all, we wouldn't worry so much because God is the king. God is right here. If we would have feel the presence of God in our life, it wouldn't be problems. Everything would be good. Then really, Rosh Hashanah is a universal holiday. It's not just a Jewish holiday. Because we want every human being, every creature, to recognize that God is the, is the God of the earth. Is God who is the creator of the world. That's what he says here too. In number nine, continue. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The most noble of nations assemble the people of the God of Abraham. For the protectors of the earth are with God. He is exceedingly exalted. Was this um, written by the sons of Korach specifically for Rosh Hashanah? Or do they have it in mind, or just sort of works? Could be they have it in mind. If it's speaking about the shofar, they probably have it in mind. Yes, that's considered a, a very special prayer that everybody, <laughs> I mean, to speak about Rosh Hashanah. Absolutely. And then the other thing is, we seem to have a grouping of sons of Korach psalms all the way in the middle, sort of of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. is there a, I think it's twelve chapters. I think, if I remember correct, of the sons yeah. of Korach. So they just all, it's like a collection, their collection. Yeah, their collection, what that King David put in the book of Psalms. Why he put it here and not there, I don't know. I mean, King why David before? write these? King no. David put together the whole book. Many of these chapters he wrote himself. Some of them he took from people before him. And what is the purpose of them? Is it to remind us of the past, to prophesize the future? All of the above. And most importantly, to have a relationship with God. The book of Psalms is the ultimate prayer book of the Jewish people. It was the original one. And the original prayer book. This is, the, this is how we communicate with God. If you want to speak to God, don't people say, I pray to God all the time. How long can you pray in your own, with your own words? Two lines. God, I need this, and I need this, and I need this. Can I the prayer is over. <laughs> can I ask you a question about, the, this, is, this is part of the Bible. or the Sure. Right. So are the scriptures. Other, so are the other ones, the scriptures. Is... Is the word of God in all up at this the whole scriptures? Is that the word of God, or is it just a it's is, yeah? It's it's considered yeah. Sure, it's by the, it's by prophecy written, by inspired so Psalms, by prophecy. So Psalms is this is, is, is the word of God, but not like the five books of Moses. No, no, absolutely not. But it's a different level. Five books of Moses gives you the laws of the Torah. All the, all, all the 613 mitzvahs are only in the five books of Moses. We don't learn a mitzvah from the book of Psalms. But it's a prayer. It's, that's what God tells us and what, how we connect to God. Yes. Absolutely.
In, in this psalm here, um, in line 10, he refers to the God of Abraham. Previously, we, you know, it was the, the God of, of Yaakov. Uh, I haven't heard yet about the God of Yitzhak. I don't know that all um, But But it, it, is there a significance as to which of our forefathers is cited here in terms of any connotation? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. Or Jacob. Brian, is it Chesed or Teferis? Yes, yes, yes. First of all, on a, on a more simple level, God of Abraham um, Shield. Is, 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 a, is the God of all nations, so to speak. Abraham is a father of the Arabs too. He's a father of Ishmael. And he's ultimately <coughs> a father of Esau, who is considered the, the rest of the world, if you want. Then the father of, father of, when you say God of Jacob, is more the God of the Jewish people. Because Jacob is the, is, is, is a more, is, is the father of only the Jewish people. Then when you say Amel, okay, Abraham means the God of Abraham. Abraham is the, is the belief, the faith, the monotheistic faith that it's shared with the rest of the world. Everybody. That's why uh, we, we okay. in some places we purposely say, uh, Yaakov, uh, we, we mention Jacob, God of Jacob, because we want to relate how he's God of the Jewish people, to make it a, most, a closer relationship. But when you say about Abraham, it represents everybody, yes. So for Rosh Hashanah, that would be more appropriate. Yeah, because Rosh Hashanah is a universal, as I said, it's a, it's a yes. universal holiday. It's not so, Yom Kippur is more about the Jewish people. Yom Kippur was about the high priest, the service in the temple was more, more uniquely to the Jews. I cannot also say that it's only Jews, but it's more unique, directed to Jewish people. But Rosh Hashanah, what's Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the day we accept God as the king of the world. And Rosh Hashanah is like, God gets a little tired. Why do you need a world for another year? What do I need that for? Who needs it? And we need to convince them to become our king for another year. And from Rosh Hashanah night, on the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, until the blowing of the shofar, it's like 12 hours, it's like twilight, the world is running on automatic, you know what I mean? It's like, God is not so involved, if you want. And when the Jewish people blow the shofar, and we crown God as, the, as a coronation, Rosh Hashanah is an inauguration party. We are inaugurating God all over again as the king of the world. Then really, when you learn Kabbalah and Hasidus, you realize it's not so, we are not busy so much with the Day of Judgment. That's Boyum Kippur, Day of Getting a Good Year. Rosh Hashanah is more a coronation, a party. And who is, who is crowning the God? I think the great God of the world, who is crowning? Simple Jews coming together in a little shul and soul and employing the shofar. They are crowning God. And that's what God is, is, is waiting. And when the Jew says, God, please be our king one more year. That's all prayers if you look good. That's what the Rosh Hashanah is all about. God, God decides to be a king and to relate to the world for another year. That's what it's all about.